0: Uh, so we have an amazing guest uh, for our podcast this week, Lorna Martin. So do you want to tell us more about who she is and how did you manage to get her for the interview? Lorna
1: Martin is the head of Technology for Fidelity Investments Ireland. But I happen to know Lorna because she and I both sit on the board of Technology Ireland with IBEC. So I've been endeared by Lorna for a time um, Also, when you read all of her credentials, what she is doing as a woman in technology for women and men in technology, she is a really fantastic figurehead. So
0: I'd love to celebrate Lorna Martin for all that she does for everybody. I couldn't agree more. I read a couple of her interviews and I was quite impressed about her whole idea of early stage interventions about helping women get into the STEM field. That's right. uh, so we discuss a lot of different uh, topics, um, working from home in times of COVID, what the future looks like, what does early stage STEM intervention look like, is there a pipeline problem, Um And other issues so uh tune in to our interview which is happening right now we were talking about working from home and how is that impacting women differently than men covid has
1: nearly been a regression for women what's your observation of the females in your team for example i I
2: actually think i saw that harvard business review report as well i guess it depends on the makeup of the household so i think you know Everyone has some different experiences. I I wouldn't like to generalize, but based on the experience from, that I'm hearing from teams across the board is, Mm. it's a challenge for everybody. It's not just for women, it's a challenge for for men as well. And I think we've been thrown into this huge, big experiment that Mm. none of us were quite prepared for. And we're very fortunate in Ireland that the children have gone back to school. That has probably helped tremendously. But what it has put the lens on is companies need to think about flexibility for all of their um, employees, not try and frame the normal nine to five structure into a work from home scenario, because you're absolutely right. It's taken a long time to get progress and it, it could regress very, very quickly. But certainly the experience that I've heard is, both women and men have found it challenging and maybe challenging for different reasons and not just necessarily the burden of the, the, the household um, responsibilities.
0: Absolutely. So just to add at fidelity, it, you don't necessarily have to be married with kids to avail of those uh, options that the companies provided. Anyone can avail of those options. Am I correct?
2: That's really important because if you start differentiating people who have children versus people who don't have children, everyone has different challenges and you have to accept that. If you talk to 100 people about their experience in COVID, you might find some common themes, but I could find some very nuanced scenarios. And for me, and for my leadership team, it's been really important for us to think about how do we listen and then how do you ensure that you respond? And ultimately, by providing additional support, a listening ear sometimes, just being empathetic to the scenario and also then providing lots of flexibility. And we're really fortunate in technology because in the main, unless you're in a very highly operational role that's tied to specific customer services, but if you're, as most of my team, um, my extended team here in Ireland, the engineers are are working as part of agile teams. It doesn't matter whether you do that work at six o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the evening. What we've really been trying to focus on is ensuring that teams, think about this creatively and work together to ensure that everyone can have the best experience, as good as it can be, given the restrictions that we have in, in this country at this point in time.
1: How can we mo- maintain our profiles in the minds of leadership teams if we are working more remotely?
0: Wouldn't it be the responsibility of the leadership team to ensure that the minority generally sidelined workforce they look out for them and go out of their way to make sure you know their profiles are kept in their minds you know what i mean
2: I think Behemoth, it's a two-way street. As leaders, we absolutely have obligations to understand what's going on in our organisations. In terms of of supporting talent. But I think as as every individual also has responsibility for your career. So if you're sitting back waiting for your manager to make the next opportunity for you, um, I think you might need to rethink that. It's a mutual responsibility. One of the things that I've certainly found in relation to working from home, and people laugh at me when they say the only time I worked from home was probably the odd day here and there when you might be in the middle of budget or writing performance reviews where you really wanted heads down time or indeed when we had snowstorms in Ireland two years ago and everyone was in a red weather alert and you couldn't leave your home for two days that's probably my complete experience of working from home prior to this particular pandemic so for me the the learning curve was quite steep Um, I had to think about, okay, what are my normal routines and patterns? And one of the things that I've always enjoyed, regardless of working at Fidelity or working elsewhere, is you know walking around and checking in and talking to people. And that's very difficult to do in a casual manner when everyone is distributed from a working perspective. So you have to think about as a leader what your routines are and how do you maintain that connection because you do have an obligation to understand what's going on on the ground. But I think also as an individual you have to think about what are your opportunities to also connect and have your voice heard. There's mutual obligations there Mahima.
0: Yeah listening to your point of view I do think it's a two-way street um on that uh you were
1: talking about the support around these items so it still goes back to um i guess a more primitive question lorna which is the pipeline issues for women yeah i'd love to explore that more with you um
0: i'll ask it more directly okay, this is a bit of a controversial question but uh do you think the pipeline issue in tech exists
2: yes the data shows that it exists and there are different types of pipeline issues for different careers in ireland you hear a lot of the discussion of feminization of medicine for example that's a very real problem as is the challenges in terms of tech pipeline so it 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 absolutely exists um data year on year continues to show that it's much more complicated than just a pipeline yeah anyone who's ever tried talk to any recruiter talk to any manager in a technology company and not even in tech, but any company that that seeks these skill sets if you ask a recruiter to find me a balanced slate of candidates for a, a really exciting open opportunity they will struggle they will tell you they can't find it so if the pipeline issue didn't exist it would be very easy because recruiters are very motivated to go and find your candidate.
1: There's two aspects to the pipeline. First of all, STEM grads are 25% female, but tech participants are 10 to 15%. And Correct. I, I know in your case, you've got 50% in your working team. And in Ireland, it is at 35%. Generally, um, there's a difference then between the pipeline in origin from STEM grads, mm-hmm. and and then the career journey of a pipeline. Yes. I'm happy to add that Itero has made huge strides yeah, that way. Like yourselves, in fidelity are above the average. We have 45 percent women. That Fantastic. that was done deliberately. Then.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was very deliberate. So
1: when we say recruiters said, well, we don't have that balanced CV pile of male and female. We would extend the search time. Mm. So yeah. it didn't mean men were put at a disadvantage and women were weighted. It meant we just allowed the search time to be bigger. So whoever walked into the job got it on merit, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And why did the search do? Like it yes. just
2: wasn't right in the Ireland. I think that's really important, the meritocracy piece of it is really really important because sometimes where companies make very deliberate efforts to focus on whether it's inclusion of any type whether it's gender or having representation from different nationalities or neurodiversity or any of the focus areas sometimes people belittle that and say you you just picked the candidate because They fit the profile. But believe me, careers are hard enough without someone saying that you you didn't get it on the basis of merit. I would agree with your philosophy. Yeah, sometimes it's going to take longer. It's important for your organization at large and the health of your organization at large to have a degree of diversity in your teams because all of the research shows that it generates better outcomes for a company like Fidelity. Ultimately, one of the big business imperatives for having gender balance and having good representation, both in technology and the businesses, when you look at the people who make financial decisions, there's a big majority, particularly retirement age, who are women. Because scientifically, the statistics show you women live longer than men. Yeah. Women inherit more often than men do. So in many households, women make the big financial decisions. And if I go back to being a child in, in the 70s, My mother made the big financial decisions in our household. My father earned the money, but my mother decided how we spent it. I think that's not unusual.
0: In terms of financial decisions, I have to tell the story. My uncle was in the Indian army and my aunt was a housewife. She would make property investments. She made more money than all of his retirement account combined. Him working for 50 years and she would made all that money, but just one investment, period. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What needs to be done more to improve the gender
1: imbalance in tech in itself?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of very deliberate actions that that need to be taken. We tend to nibble around the edges. Some investments in education, there's lots of different programmes out there, but really what's required is very much an end-to-end strategy, because Solving the pipeline issue is not going to solve the, the problem indefinitely. It's just one aspect of it. Sure. It's not just attracting women into technology careers. Going back to Mahima's earlier point, it's how do you develop, grow, and retain? That starts right from preschoolers. All the, the, the research shows, and I'm like a broken record on this one, is young children do not differentiate in terms of their ability to be anything at a very early stage. So what it says to me is they are conditioned to think differently over time by the environment, by the education system, by parents, by, by people they interact with. It's like, they call do- that. To add to
0: that, so they're conditioned to believe these stereotypes. I remember my mom used to tell me when I was younger that you should study arts. Arts is easier. Your brother can study engineering. These stereotypes regarding a girl's abilities are just systematically ingrained into you
2: as you grow. So think about if you can reverse some of those. If every mother in the country was saying, you can be an engineer if you want to be an engineer, you can be a doctor if you want to be a doctor. What we're seeing, kind of the critical inflection points, are in early teens. And it, again, the data proves it. if you look at something as common across the country as Coder Dojo. Yeah. You go into Coder Dojos and you see boys and girls, sometimes more boys, sometimes more girls, but usually pretty balanced. They both take to it as well. Um, and what happens is you know, girls get to that 12, 13 age group and something happens, whether it's not seen as cool to be really good at maths or science. Are indeed whether like your situation Mahima, someone is telling them you really should study this. And then that affects subject choices. And then ultimately impacts the percentages in STEM. And if you speak to the universities, STEM is a very broad term, but if you look at the sciences, there's much greater female representation in the biosciences, as opposed to engineering and technology. So I think it's trying to influence Right from that early stage, from an education perspective, from parents and and influencers, that's teachers, prayer guidance, there's a lot of very simple interventions that that are low cost to actually achieve, but we're not thinking holistically end to end about. Our problem has gotten worse over the years. When I went to college and I I graduated from UL in 1991, my class was pretty much 50-50. Yeah. So I actually never thought about it that women could not have careers or an opportunity. And the same happened. My first job, I went into a graduate program, seven male, seven female. I know it wasn't deliberate on the part of the organization. It's just the way the pipeline was at that time. So it's like if the fact that we've gotten to learn more about tech careers has actually reduced the chances of people going into tech careers. But what it does say to me is there's a cohort of, skilled and qualified people out there who are maybe in their mid 40s who have had a grounding in technology and maybe worked in technology and then changed careers. So that's another group that we need to target. Um, You also have to think about how do you cast that net more widely and find ways of actually bridging that gap for different pipelines to come in. The final piece I'd say is not everyone learns the same way. So, you know, over the last couple of years, we started taking apprentices in. Initially, our entry requirements would have always been you had to have a degree, an honours degree, and many people might have a master's, Um, but lots of people don't necessarily learn in that structured sit in a lecture hall manner or maybe can't afford to sit in that lecture hall. Something like an apprenticeship is a great kind of earn as you learn as I think that's the tagline they use with it Um, but what you find is you bring people who come through maybe those kind of returner channels or something like an apprenticeship channel and they actually really know they want to do it and they're really motivated to learn so having that balance of experiences on your team brings another dimension that's beyond just the gender dimension.
0: Um, I went to America to study after high school on scholarship so that's why I went there to study my parents couldn't have afforded it and I was studying economics I thought I couldn't do engineering or math because that's what had been ingrained into me by my parents and while I was there I'd finished my coursework and I still had scholarship money left over so it was my math calculus professor who suggested well why don't you take engineering level math and I thought it would be so difficult because there were all these men in the classes more men than women and i tried it and it wasn't that difficult i i was like okay well i am good at math i could have done this so it was just mm-hmm. such a sudden by chance uh entrance into this field rather than a planned
2: one and i think also you know in the same way as government has a part to play here department of education is funded a particular way. it's a very complicated system for a small country there's a lot of different departments who are responsible for different aspects of education and we've seen additional ministership in higher education with this most recent all so there's, there's got to be opportunities to think about it in a more joined up fashion in terms of not just having a separation between primary, secondary and third level education. I, I,
1: I admire the fact that you are most definitely a great proponent of education and that the end to the end strategy for me isn't just primary right through to higher. I say this with real mm-hmm. determination as a mother of two boys. And I come from a very strong lineage of women. So when I first had boys, I was like, what do I do with them? Um, (laughs) So after a while, I relaxed into it, knowing that, well, actually, uh, the way of making our society more equal is playing my part as a mother by making sure that my boys Mm. aren't um, associating pink with girls and blue with boys conscious decision earlier on to be very neutral with everything and to concentrate on personality rather than a gender um, association in a stereotypical fashion.
2: Absolutely, Gerard. That's really important because the one thing that we see a lot in the workforce as well is lots of really strong male advocates who are being very deliberate. Men are feminists
1: too. And I know that the definition of feminism goes through um, millions of reiterations. I remember sitting down with my husband, who is also the CEO of the company, and saying, you are a feminist. And he says, I don't think I am. No, he is. And I yeah. said, no, you are. I said, we need to understand if we're the heads of this company, what feminism means. It means that you're acknowledging that your wife is female, that your mother is female, that you have sisters. And that if you do have daughters, that you want them in the same level playing pitch as, as your brothers, your father and you, whatever. So it, I had to go out of my way to bring in the idea that feminism is not a pejorative term. And it just means that you're looking for equality and it doesn't matter what your
0: preferred gender association is yourself. I just want to add to that, Gerald. You know, um, so culture always goes top down. Even the men who work at the Giro, the men that I meet at the Giro, they are feminist because culture they always are. goes top down. They're big advocates for Women's I'm right at and the
1: door Lorna, I wouldn't be letting them in otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
2: But you're absolutely right. And then yeah.
1: when I looked at your profile, I said to myself, Lorna is a feminist doing great work and really doing a huge amount for women and for men, by the way, because yeah. when we talk about diversity, companies do better
2: you're absolutely right interestingly we have across the globe a women's leadership group and we have a women in technology special interest group which is to support women but just all, but also to help men understand the and educate around the problem but also to help them find pathways to actually advocate and be sponsors yes. they are incredibly proud of that each country at fidelity has you know has a chapter and our executive sponsor in ireland is male all the predecessors were female. And I think people were a little bit nervous because one of the things that you have to learn, is there's no point in just having all the women in the room speaking to each other. Exactly. You have to have a really strong representation of you know, all the interests in your company. Because if it's not an imperative for everybody, you're only going to succeed in a very piecemeal fashion. And you have to think about this in terms of what are the important aspects of your company culture? For most companies, they've come to realize that inclusion is incredibly important. It's not just about making a better world at large, but it's also a really strong business imperative. And there's nothing shameful about it being good for business as well. I think that's probably a, been a great benefit in terms of that coming to the fore and people not being ashamed about saying, yeah, I am really interested in women, women who make decisions or make financial decisions or product decisions, or I, no more than I'm really interested in young investors or I'm really interested if I a company has representation in different geographies, I want to ensure that there's strong representation in terms of what the local population looks like. That's probably the big thing that's changed over the years is it's not just women talking to women. It's a much broader conversation and it's a conversation at the C-suite, not at the grassroots, even though it needs to be a conversation all the way down the organization.
1: I'd love to know your opinion on the narrative around technology Mm -hmm. and getting more diverse type of people into technology. I heard your comment on how you have a graphic designer who is an artist who works in a company that is in technology. Now, that's really a big difference. Um, I remember when I started out doing my finance work when my friends got it must be very boring. You're going to be a bean counter now. <laughs> and I said, you wouldn't believe how creative it is. And I don't mean that in, in an Enron way for anybody listening. In. What, I mean <laughs> is, what, what, what I meant was certainly as a startup person, the ways that you had to create um, budget or make do with certain things, you did have to think outside of the box. So I, yeah. I saw something that was conservative in people's perception to be very um, broad and creative. So here's my ask. And that is, I also had a time in my life where I was an artist and I remember lots of people that I used to hang around. That at I time. just
0: found out about that, Lorna. So that's the first time <laughs> I've heard that one. And and I
1: remember artists at the time saying, oh, I'm not in business. I'm a singer or I'm an actor or I'm whatever. The point is, you're none of those things unless you realize that your your trade and talent, your talent is a trade that needs to be monetized. Otherwise, you won't be able to do anything. You have to pay the rent. And I suppose in technology, the narrative needs to be changed too. that. You don't have to be the geek or the nerd, and that isn't meant to be uh, offensive. I'm talking about general per- perception. But there is so much creative room inside in technology,
2: and I see that you call that out. Absolutely, and I think the stereotypes are really damaging. Every career you mentioned, the bean counter of the accountants. Yeah, and I think most careers, if if you're not deeply acquainted with what the opportunities are in that career and you could train as an accountant but you could be doing many different things same you could train as a technologist and do many things you could train as an artist and have a part to play in many different industries that's incredibly important to recognize that ultimately we are all focused on some kind of a commercial product Regardless of whether it's the most beautiful creative painting, artists tend not to paint just to look at it themselves, right? Right. To your point, there is the reality of life. Um, But I think what we need to be out there, and my team are really fantastic at getting out there, and we have so many associates across Fidelity who are regularly out and about talking at different types of events or in schools and so forth, is you have to do a lot of work to bust some of those myths that a career in technology I, i've had it said well oh couldn't send, spend my life behind a desk equally when you have someone who to come stand up and talk about kind of the day in their life what always amazes me when we have the youngsters in from school and they talk to one of our analysts our designers our ux people like they're going like wow didn't think you could do that didn't think you could study that so the more we talk about Everyone has core capabilities that they're drawn towards and they're good at, but that doesn't mean that you have to stick in a lane and it doesn't mean that they're not transferable across lanes. So that's why I, I love the example of fine art grads who are part of our user experience team because they have skills that I will never have in a million years. So Geraldine, I'd never make a living as an artist. I'm one of these people who can't draw a straight line without a ruler. Um, <laughs> but it might not stop me at some point in life but having a go but back to your conversation with your boys i think you have to encourage everyone to think more broadly you
1: did consultancy yourself at one stage and consultancy does teach people to have great communication skills when it comes to inside in the career Mm -hmm. around the board table or middle management Mm -hmm. to c level women can often be their own worst enemy in the sense of language. The, the use um, and communication styles. Deborah Tannen, a really big writer on the way women speak versus the way men speak in business. And men would often own the company, as in the way how they would refer to it, my company and I do this and this project. And women were very much in our company and we have. So... Yeah. I'm wondering, Lorna, is there also a place for us to get far more sophisticated on the idea of teaching communication skills? Should we empower oh. women to speak differently?
2: Communications are really important. And as you were speaking, I was thinking in the course of my career, I've come across and we've all maybe suffered from it at some point in time of imposter syndrome. And particularly, when you're at a stage in the career where you're learning the craft and you don't feel quite so sure footed. Um, and you're right, I wouldn't generalize to say all men are I, because I, 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 I've come across some very inclusive uh, men over the years. And similarly, I've come across women who are I. I, I. But I, it's, it's important to think about your narrative, both yes. from a career perspective, but also how you contribute. And most of the work that we do is team-based work. One of the things that I've seen that's changed over the last decade or so is the importance over team versus I. And the realization that you can have one wonderful person, but the sum of the parts of a really diverse and interesting team can be much more powerful but I agree with you I think it's not just women I think it's men also there's an art of engagement whether you're at middle management or you're at the c-suite and it's how do you ensure that number one that what you say has value because the worst thing you can do is just speak for the sake of it Um, but equally not to accept that your voice is not heard and and not to flex your muscles where you actually have expertise but i think you can do that in keeping some of those nice traits of being inclusive in terms of your team as opposed to you being the individual contributor but equally i can think you can build a very powerful narrative but i I agree with you it is important for everyone who's interacting with people to think about your communication skills and you know what you have to say and think about what you want to be heard as, as opposed to just saying it for the sake of saying it.
1: Um, absolutely and the art of engagement means the language must be inclusive.
2: And I think you can be powerful and be kind at the same time. Correct. I don't think one is mutually exclusive yeah. so sometimes I've seen situations where someone is trying to assert their presence and in doing so, make, maybe take on the worst traits. And I've seen this over the years in, in many instances. Sometimes you have to think about that internally count one, two, and three, because once it's out, it's out. Yeah. And you can really damage relationships. You can really hurt someone. You can actually break trust by being careless with your words.
1: Yeah, such a, a wonderful piece of advice that a pause is acceptable. So do the one, two, three. Um, and a lot of times I encourage women to dress the way they they feel is feminine for them, uh, that you mm. can be feminine and strong. We don't have to um, morph into masculine energy as women to have our place at the table.
2: I was talking to one of my colleagues earlier on today about this topic, and uh, I was relaying a story of, Many, many moons ago, I was going into a steering committee and uh, there were some important decisions that we were trying to push through. And this male colleague said to me, shouldn't have worn that pink dress. No one will take you seriously. I was quite taken aback at even the idea that someone would go and judge you based on the color of the garment. I'm happy to say it didn't impact the discussion, but I was actually shocked that he could take that view just based on perception. And so he knew me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my thought immediately was, if he didn't know the woman in the room, or maybe the man who wore the pink shirt, right, Correct. and decided to show a little bit of individual, I think that someone makes a decision just based on one dimension, that's actually quite sad.
1: I'd love for women to know um, is that walk into the room and own it. Because whether you're coming in in a pink dress or a black dress. Yeah. If you own and you stand over who you are and you are at grips with who you are and you're comfortable, no one will see pink and flossy.
0: I do want to add to that. That's easier said than done. That requires a lot of courage. And uh, Lorna, Geraldine has been my mentor since I moved to Ireland six years ago. I have the courage now to walk into rooms, but it was because of you, because I walked with you in those rooms and saw you how you held your own. Because a lot of times I remember we would walk into these rooms where we were the only women. And it can be very intimidating. So you have to have some sort of a support figure or a mentor to tell you it can be done because it can be very intimidating. I'm brown on top of being a woman. So I've got that double minority group so it's even harder but to you know have some sort of a role model to show you how it's done is definitely helpful.
2: Yeah Mahima and that definitely really just illustrates the 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 power of having that mentor or being kind to someone right it doesn't take much to walk into a room with someone and I regularly have this conversation because like Geraldine my father's greatest words to me were always "Walk in like you own the place And he didn't mean that in boastful or be big-headed. It was really about confidence. Sometimes it's actually really scary, but you have to put the game face on. You also have to realize that there are probably loads of people around the table who are equally as scared as you are and putting on their game face. I would always encourage women to start small. Don't go into the biggest (laughs) intimidating forum and say, oh, that was a horrible experience. I'm never doing that again. Start something simple. Sometimes it's as simple as having the courage to ask the question in an open forum. Having the courage to go and put your hand up and say, yeah, I'm well versed in this topic. I'm going to present on it. To go and look for an opportunity to take part in a cross-company or a cross-functional forum. You probably don't want your first experiment to be to walk into the (laughs) C-suite and look for a, a really important outcome. It's like every other skill. You have to practice, practice, practice. We all have elements of our personality that we exert at work and different elements of our personalities that we exert at home. I'm, I'm quite happy to be a leader in the workplace, but quite often I'm quite happy to go with the flow in my personal life. It's, it's all about using those skills, but also finding balance and look before you leap, but practice makes perfect. You just
1: reminded me of... I, myself and Mahima went to a tech, networking event one night and it was the case of okay we will test here and often in technologies a lot of the networking events definitely are 85 percent male. I'm a great believer in sitting up at the front but we sat there quietly with lots of men around us and the only people doing the, the speaking slots happened to be all male as well
0: we were the only females and i remember my friend was visiting from california so we took her too It was just three of us and hundred men and while we walked
1: i won't say meekly into the room we walked determinedly into the room comfortable up the front space um at the top of the room it took us a while then we asked a question yeah then we made an opinion and then somebody came back to us to say what, what do you think about that? And suddenly the room was coming towards myself and Mahima as if we had been the guest speakers. And I walked out of there and I remember saying to Mahima, I said, there's an example of turning this into our own in a very appropriate way. Because if yeah. we'd sat back that night, we wouldn't have been seen well, not only were we heard, there was people giving us business cards on the way out, saying, "Please come here again and love to know more." And I just saw it unfolding, and it was a great experience for the American visitor that day. She was in awe of how we as women owned the room. To go back to that, and mm-hmm. for Meema, as a, in a mentee-mentor relationship. She just saw, yes, it does work. Now, I was the one taking
2: the gamble, but I didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fantastic story. And there's an element sometimes... there is an advantage of being a little bit different because if you can bring a slightly different perspective it can it can it can drive a conversation in a totally different way and I think most intelligent people appreciate a good debate and listening to you ladies you're well capable of of generating that debate and maybe a little bit of controversy on the side as well but you have a choice You you have a choice in everything in life you can walk into that room and you can be invisible and it's Hard work to be invisible as it is to be visible.
0: You know, I've, I've heard people
2: say they've gone to a mentoring event and they've gone to the ladies room and they waited for 30 minutes so that they could make the escape at a reasonable time. That's probably a failed experiment, in not having tested out a little bit early on. But to your point, bringing someone who doesn't have too much at stake um to support you and introduce you and connect you and draw you into the conversation. There's always someone willing to do that, provided that they know that you're willing to actually engage. Um, so I think in that case, Mahima kind of your wing person on that one, but there's nothing, uh, nothing stopping you from taking some of the folks who gave you those business cards to go and bring you to the next stage of introductions or the next opportunity. But the one thing that struck me is sometimes... Even the name what you actually call some of the networking forums, because they can feel like they're exclusive or they can exclude people because it sounds much more serious than it is usually it's just a bunch of people looking to share to information on a topic that's of interest and what's the risk in having an opinion, given that everyone there is already hooked to be there in the first instance
1: absolutely beautifully said um no. Lord- there is a geopolitical obstacle, say, to women working maybe in the Middle East. Or not yeah. working, but going right up the ranks.
2: Absolutely. The reason we have the word culture is because cultures differ. No more than cultures differ from organization to organization, they they differ from country to country. And I spend quite a bit of time with colleagues in India, for example, where Women have greater challenge because of the culture there in terms of breaking into senior leadership roles. And it's not necessarily because they're less qualified or they're less able, there's obligations. Mahima, you're much more qualified on this one than I am. There are obligations from from the home life and there's expectations from family. And equally, there are expectations on men to progress really fast in certain cultures. So absolutely. One thing I would say is even when you are in a senior leadership role, people react in different ways in different parts of the world. So what I found in, in, in India, because people knew what your position were they might be quite polite and deferential to you if they didn't know they might look at you in like who are you because you look a little bit different similarly I've spent some time in China and uh, people look at you 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 walk down the street in China and just because you're a white woman with blonde hair and it's not that anyone's being rude it's just that you're different and people will look at you But I think there are different barriers in different cultures because there's, again, back to stereotypes and norms. Education has a big part to play in it. If you think about being part of particularly the big global teams that have big representation across multiple geographies, you have to be very consistent in terms of what are acceptable standards, what are acceptable processes. And back to the point, in some cases, you have to be very deliberate about your strategy of inclusion. And that's not just gender, there's lots of other dimensions as well. So you can't ignore it. You have to accept that there are differences, but I think you also are compelled to try and support change because the world is continuing to evolve. In 10 years time, it'll be different. In in 10 weeks time, it will be different. Um, But I think for me, it's probably much easier for me to step out and speak out in a large forum in somewhere like India or China because I'm already at a certain level of role what we have to do is try and support the upcoming women in the organization to be able to do so and you know I'm back to our previous conversation about experimenting i i, I one of the things I love about my job is I get an opportunity to meet lots of people um across our organization who are on various development programs, and a lot of them are women. And these are exactly the kind of issues that we talk about in terms of here's the challenge, here are some of my professional fears, what are the strategies to to deal with them? There's geopolitics, um, You're never going to solve for everything, but I think you have to be really explicit about what's unacceptable and call someone out if it's unacceptable. And if you can be a strong sponsor where, back to your point, earlier about you were taking the risk in terms of Mahima, I think you have to be courageous sometimes and call out behavior that just doesn't actually align with with the the organization's culture and, and just be brave about it and do it on someone else's behalf because realizing that Unless things change, they might have to deal with the consequences of that.
0: Um, You have just summarized uh, everything about having uh, more women in STEM, having more women in technology. Um, And so would you agree that it's more complicated than simply teaching women
2: or girls how to code? Yes, because um, if you look at the whole gambit of technology roles, only a percentage of people ever write code. I mean, I haven't written code in quite a long time, even though I lead an organization. I dabble here and there, but I don't know that you want me to be the lead developer or architect on your groundbreaking product. Probably not without a bit of practice. But all of the things that we've just talked about contribute to it. It's education. It's influencing. It's culture. It's speaking out. It's been advocates it's been sponsors it's been supporters it's not accepting behavior that is inappropriate it's
1: an interesting one that you should say those words mentoring and supporting do you see a difference
2: yeah so i think mentors and sponsors have very different functions mentors are usually helping you learn your craft a little bit or providing advice for in terms of how you grow or helping you answer the questions for yourself a sponsor is somebody who comes out and vocally advocates on your behalf so some mentors are also great sponsors but you you you, you often have situations where somebody is your sounding board and a mentor in the background they may not necessarily have the the influence to be a sponsor so really sponsorship yeah. is all about being in the right circle to be able to influence the outcome. And they're not mutually exclusive, but they're very different in terms of intent and, and, and outcome.
1: I think you've hit the nail on the head there regarding the sponsorship aspect leads you into a network. And there's many circles within the network. And I guess knowledge. Just, on, just
0: to add that, because sponsors have inroads within the network.
1: They already yeah. come with a network. So yeah. how valuable is networking then for climbing the, the, the career path, but also for entrepreneurs and technology?
2: I think the, the network is one of the fundamental aspects of your armory. Do you
0: think women at work and professional women recognize the importance of a solid network now?
2: I think more so, yes. A lot of people are terrified or they feel like it's a very artificial mechanism. They think about it as going out on the golf course and rubbing shoulders. But there's many ways to network and it's not necessarily going out into loads of formal network events. Look at every opportunity just to be interested in other people because it's amazing how just having a genuine interaction with someone casually can can create an opportunity and back to finding common ground. A lot of times women are really afraid to be very um, articulate about their aspirations. And uh, I remember filling out a a career talent profile many years ago. I knew what I wanted, but I felt it would be very boastful and would people say, God, who does a woman think she is? I remember sitting sitting down with um, a colleague who I, happened to have a background in HR and uh, said, have a look at that. She's like, you're not saying what you want. Right. And I think that's really important. And that's not about going out and demanding. You no know, more than if you want to be able to play a, a particular piece of music on the piano. If you talk to any child and they said, I want to be able to play X, Y, and Z, that's an aspiration shared. I, do that in relation to our careers um another great one from my father was if you don't ask you don't receive yeah and that's again not about being cheeky but if you feel that there is an opportunity out there that fits with your aspirations it's incumbent upon you to try and put yourself out there a little bit and it's risky because no one likes to deal with rejection and we all have to deal with it at some point in our career. where you have put check on the line for something and it hasn't quite worked out but you kind of have to lick your wounds and get on with it yeah So that's important. Or or you didn't state your case in the most compelling manner either. And that takes practice. It does does take practice. I firmly believe no one can read your mind. Only you know truly what's authentically on your mind. And don't waste the opportunity to share it. Again, you can go and share that in a safe manner with someone to trust one on one to check that you're not deluded. Um, But the worst thing you can do is say nothing.
1: Um, Lorna, you've been very successful in your career. How did you manage the failures that are the stepping stones to success?
2: Yeah, so I think in terms of success uh, is, is a combination of meeting the right people, meeting the right opportunities and being really lucky. And I've had a pretty long career, so it's not by any means an overnight progression path to the role that I'm in today. It's been a long series of steps, but I would definitely say um, I've had some amazing sponsors in the course of my career. And early on, what I discovered when I was quite early in career, I would focus on doing a really good job and assuming that everyone would notice. But What you discover over time is everyone will accept great work But really, it's about trying to find someone who's going to speak out on your behalf. So for me, a lot of my success has been down to hard work, a modicum of just being in the right place at the right time on occasion. But I would put put a lot of it down to having honest conversations and having really good mentors along the way. Dealing with disappointments. Yeah, I've gone for roles. I interviewed for them and I wasn't the best candidate. And you know what? You have to go and pick up what you learn. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other night and I was talking about uh, a particular role I went for many, many years ago anyway. And uh, when I looked back on it, I said, well, why did I go for it? I actually went for it for the wrong reasons. Mm. And I know when I interview people, I'm really interested in why they are interested in a role and what they're going to bring to it. And I think if it's just someone who's looking for progression Mm. and that's the only thing that's in it for them, it comes across. And you may be successful, but would you really be bringing your full potential to it? So I think sometimes these things happen for a reason. Again, it's back to experimenting. You've tried something out and you realize that you're just not the best candidate in the pool.
1: Or Um, Lorna, just to add to that, (laughs) and I I probably have to confess that I'm a pretty hard taskmaster when it comes to mentoring. And I would say to somebody if they didn't get what they wanted, what, what was your intention here? So is that the responsibility of the so-called failure is on the
2: recipient side as well. Absolutely. The other thing that people fail to do is they fail to ask for feedback. And that's the biggest mistake you can possibly make because you may have one perception in terms of why you weren't successful. But good to ask it from both sides of the transaction and then synthesize that feedback and their strategy in terms of how you improve. I've interviewed a lot of people over the years. Some people have come straight back and regardless of whether they were successful or unsuccessful, have really focused on the power of the feedback. Because even if you are successful, there's going to be certain things that have come out of that conversation that might be areas for focus or improvement. The most negligent thing that you can do is actually not ask for the feedback. Even if it feels difficult. So if you can't be what you can't see,
0: then who is your greatest inspiration?
2: So that's really interesting. I don't think there's one person. Okay. I think it's a whole collage of people. And I suppose my parents, because my parents were two very different people. My father was very outgoing. My mother was very introverted. So I think from my mother, I got care and attention to detail and also Be careful about how how you present yourself and what you have to say. From my father, I thought, well, it's always worth the chance, right? Um, But then in the course of my career, I've taken something from every leader that I've worked with, the good ones and the not so good ones. And you try and moderate your behavior um, in that regard. So there isn't one single person. Everyone is a work in progress. There there are things about my, my about personality and my style as a leader that I'm very self-aware about that I have to continue to work on listening to those around you and trying to take that on board and continue to develop over time. None of us are ever the the finished article and I think the day you think you are is probably the day you need to go and pack it in.
1: And, and look Lauren, I know that your company Fidelity, you have done a huge amount around um, diversity and inclusion. I suppose, I feel that it's easier for large companies with big budgets, to run many multiple layered programs around that and include it in the CSR. Would you have any advice for the likes of Itero, who are, by definition, Indigenous tech, also an SME? And there's many companies in
2: Ireland like that. Yeah, absolutely. For for some of the CSR pieces, yeah, there is budget associated, but I think the most powerful resource is actually the really strong talent that you have. So if you're thinking about starting in a smaller scale fashion, find out who's really motivated and inspired and use your grassroots. Because believe it or not, even though we have large programmatic efforts that go on, some of the most powerful things that happen, um, the Fidelity is involved with, come from an idea that's from that grassroots organization. Don't underestimate the power and the experience and the perspective that's within your workplace, regardless of whether there's 10 of you or 10,000 of you. That's a powerful statement. Lorna, we
1: are coming to the end, and Mahima loves to ask this question. So I hand it over.
0: Okay, this is <laughs> one of my favourite questions. If you have one dinner party, and you could invite three people to that dinner party, and they all have to be alive, who would they be and why?
2: <laughs> um i i would love to have mary robinson yes because just as someone who was growing up mary was making all the breakthroughs for women and i think she's such an interesting character such a, fan, a fascinating career as well so i i love music jazz music i love diana Krall mm and uh I went to see her many years ago in the Royal Albert Hall in the UK wow. and she talks a lot through her concerts. I just found it really engaging. So I love people who are talented and arty, and I love music. So I'd have Diana because if we ran out of something to talk about, she <laughs> could sing us a few songs. The third person that I would love to have at the table, uh, I'd like to have Michelle Obama because again, I'd love to know how she's come out into her own. I think she took the the first lady from being a supporting role to being a really powerful role um, and also making it quite normal for your children to be part of the whole first family scenario. And I think also as a woman in colour, I'd love her perspective in terms of what's going on in the world at the moment. Well, Lorna, all I can say is if I'm not allowed to come to that dinner party,
1: can I be the waiter? (laughs)
2: it's <laughs> uh, 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 fantastic! Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <a picture. laughs> thank you so much. I well, look at the pleasure to you, ladies, and we, we we'll talk soon. Take care, yourself. All right, Lorna, mind thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Take care. Right. Bye. Bye.
0: That was a great interview. What did you think of that, Gerald? I certainly
1: got more from it than I had anticipated. It just proves how authentic Lorna is that her messages um, will go on. She has shared so many different nuggets of wisdom. And what I really enjoyed about uh, Lorna was she didn't fall into the trap of I suppose, singling anybody out or Absolutely. making a, a,
0: a male versus female debate. Yeah. She's right. She spoke the facts. This one particular uh, point she was talking about, that how it's a two-way street with this flexible work environment that, yes, often overlooked minorities' uh the leadership team should make an effort, but also it's on to us Mm -hmm. to manage our own career and to be seen and to be heard. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, it was a great interview. She certainly um, softened my cough
1: um, regard, anything being black and white. Yeah. She, she didn't find fault in anything without giving a solution. Yeah. I just find Lorna, generally speaking, a remarkable character. And I feel really privileged that she gave us her time on our podcast. I really mean that. And um, I love meeting Lorna outside of podcasts. I, I'm glad that we got to celebrate and honor t- in our podcast this time.
0: I couldn't agree more. Uh, so guests. Stay tuned for our next data debate, which is on Facebook and the fight against the Irish uh, Data Commission and what that looks like. Geraldine and I are going to debate the pros and cons or you're going to take Facebook's side. I'm going to take Helen Dixon's side. So we'll see where that lands us.